What is up, fam? Welcome back to That's The Angle. I just want to say, I hope you guys are doing all right, staying active, staying productive, keeping your mind busy during all of this quarantine. I know it can get kind of crazy and boring and lonely sometimes. Putting the ISOL in isolation, that made no sense. But anyways, guys, uh, in this interview, I am joined with Nicola. She's the owner of 1111 Gallery here in Washington, D.C., and she literally moved from England to come and open up this gallery in Washington, D.C. She just literally got off a bus and decided this is where she wanted to do it. Her story is pretty crazy. It's a lot of fun. I really think you're going to enjoy this insight into what goes into thinking about opening an art gallery in 2020. But also, it needs to be said that this was recorded way before uh, all the COVID talks and everything, which also means like, Bruce, why haven't you put out a podcast? It's because, well, the COVID thing has taken a big dookie on the podcast as well. It's it's kind of hard. I can't really meet up with anyone uh, right now. No one really wants to meet up. And I really don't know how to feel about Skype calls and Zoom calls. But, you know, if this goes on long enough, you know, maybe we can make something up and do something because I really want to keep talking and really keep interviewing. However, I got enough interviews to be dropping at least one a week for the next however many months or whatever. So don't worry, guys. Got you on some content. So without further ado, let's get into this interview. Enjoy. Uh, Verbal diarrhea is good on the show. Uh, (laughs) I'd say verbal constipation is the worst. Okay. Yeah, because then, you know, nothing's said. I'm like, oh, shit, what are we going to do? What's up, guys? Welcome back. That's the angle. In this episode, I am joined with Nicola. Hello. From, you are the owner of Gallery 1111. 1111 Gallery. 1111 Gallery. Yeah. There we go. There <laughs> we go. Yeah. Um, super cool to have you on the show because, you know, I think I met you, I don't know, a couple months ago, four yeah. or five months ago. December. Yeah, in December, in December. when you were doing uh, an exhibition with my homie Marley in it, Marley yes. McFly, who's been on the show. And, uh, I remember, I love. yeah, he's such a, such a nice <laughs> dude. And I remember talking to you at that event and you were telling me, I asked you like, what made you want to open a gallery? And you told me this really cool story about how that came to be. Would you mind sharing that again? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I used to be, uh, I babble in this story, so I'm just going to keep it Please, uh, short. No, no, no. Give me the long version. I want to hear it. I want to hear we'll it. We'll be here the hour talking about it. But uh, it's all good. We have time. <laughs> so um, I used to be a tax accountant. Um, in London and I was just really unfulfilled <clears throat> and the feeling was like getting worse and worse and worse and then I quit my job went traveling um, whilst I was in Cuba in a town called Trinidad decided to open an art gallery um, the year before that I should say I'd gone traveling around Bali mm-hmm. um, and I'd met a woman who owns a couple of art galleries in London and New York and I think somewhere else, but I just know of London and New York. And she kept saying that I should, she felt like I'd be really good doing, you know, something <clears throat> more creative. So, or like, she kept saying like, you'd be really good in a gallery. And I was thinking, mm, I'm okay being a, an accountant. Like, yeah, I'm cool. it seemed I like a, a different world at that point. Yeah, it was like, that's not be so ridiculous. That's good for you. It's not for me kind of thing. Um, and then when I was traveling, and I was in Cuba, um, in Trinidad, I, that's when I decided to have an art gallery. And then um, continued, I didn't know where I wanted it to be. Um, I didn't even know how I was gonna get into it, what I was gonna do, what it was gonna look like, feel like, or anything. Um, and then as we continued traveling, the last stop on our travels were 
was um, DC. And as soon as I got to DC, like literally as soon as I stepped off of the Greyhound from New York, I just knew this was where I wanted to be. Really? Yeah. That Union Station where all the hobos are all camped out. Do you know? You just I, knew it right there. <laughs> do you know? It was actually, um, I think we, I feel like we got off the bus at Silver Spring, you know? Okay, that's probably better. Mm, but my friend, I remember saying to my friend and she was like, you don't even know. Like I literally stepped off and said it and she was like, you can't even see anything yet. And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> just like the flip switched and you, you're just yeah. like, you let me quit everything and move to America and start this? Yeah, How basically. Did, is it that easy to move to, by the no, way? No, it took two years. <sighs> this has been like two years in the making, so mm. or in the planning. So um, I had to obviously go back to work as an accountant. But you kind of knew it, I guess, in your mind. But I knew by then. And I went back to work um, just to replenish my savings. Um, and I knew this isn't for me. I just knew, like, being in an office, I'd, I'd kind of, my spirit had, like, outgrown it, mm. if you know what I mean, just from the, the months of being away traveling. Oh, um, no, I can relate. I can relate. I've been there. I did that, too. I, I worked a whole year saving up for my photography equipment because yeah. I was like, all right, before I make that jump, I need some kind of cash flow to fund it all. Because yeah. when I do it, I don't think I'll be able to. Yeah, yeah. So it was that kind of thing. And then... Um, and then in the end, I just thought, everyone kept saying, oh, you're going to end up staying, you're going to get used to it and stay at work. You're just going to continue working. Wow. And I was like, no, I can't. I just knew in myself I couldn't. Um, and I just started flopping. I was literally there for three months and was, by the end of it, I think we all agreed, it's best I just go. <laughs> like your mind was just completely like, somewhere else? Yeah, it was somewhere else. It was always thinking about the, uh, like the gallery and what I wanted. Um, and then... More so, it was like I felt so trapped, like I could only go so far left, so far right. Mm. You know, you're away from your desk for X amount of time and you come back and people are like waiting for you or there's emails or, you know, you've got tax returns to review and you've got this and you've got, I was managing a team of, I think it was about seven or eight, nine people, I think it was. And like, you're just constantly being pulled and called kind of thing and it was it just didn't feel it, I just felt like a prisoner or I, I just didn't feel good yeah so I, I, that office setting can get so suffocating but when there's a light at the end of the tunnel I feel like it's like a slightly more tolerable because yeah you know it's like there's some destination that's not <laughs> six o'clock at home yeah it's yeah yeah and you know so in in the UK we don't work as hard as you guys do so <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I never heard that before. Yeah, we don't. What we do you don't. mean by that? So, like, I talk to people here and they're like, oh, yeah, I've got a government job. So, um, you know, I work from, like, 7.30 till, I don't know, 6 o'clock or something like that. Yeah. Whereas, like, at home, and I'll probably get shot down for saying this, but, like, many, not all, many, <laughs> some, a lot of... <laughs> government employees they tend to kind of work reduced hours like they kind of work their own hours um or it's and that's not fair to say but i guess it's more so that they work they, like, we just don't have this we we do nine to five like strict government employees do strict nine to five because here it's like the the, the <laughs> 7 a.m wake up the two hour to get there yeah. then then the six o'clock because really it's not five o'clock it's six o'clock yeah. and you don't get home till eight o'clock yeah no ours is literally like nine 
to five. And you, at five, you're at the door. You're not like logging off. Oh. Yeah. In professional, in the private um, industry, it's probably <clears throat> you work more hours. You do work more hours. That's so interesting. Why is that? Why, why, why do we like tend to put so much more effort into work? I feel like you'd be more fulfilled not doing that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is about. So we like, so yeah, like we work 24, um, sorry, we work seven hours a day, five days a week, supposedly, if you're in the professional or if you're in the private sector. Yeah. Um, but you also get a lot of days holiday. Mm. So like, I think, I think, and I'm, cause do you know what? I'm so out of the loop of working now. I'm actually an unemployable, <laughs> but I think if memory serves... Our statutory leave for a full-time employee, like holiday pay, or you guys call it vacation, yeah, pay, I think, or vacation. whatever it is, um, is like 25 days oh. a year. So that's the minimum. Minimum? Yeah, that you get. Because that's the legal requirement. So everyone who works um, full-time gets 25 days a year. Okay, so who is this lady that convinced you to change your life? Uh, her name's Rebecca Hosack. Do you still have contact with her? What's up with her? Every so often. Um, I think about her all the time. Um, so when in my period back at work, I was also like helping out at her galleries in London, mm -hmm. at just events, um, and just spending time with her. She was really, really good. Um, and really open, um, very honest about what it is to run a gallery. She was really happy that I was like taking that path as well. Interesting. Um, she's had a uh, gallery since like 1988. Wow. So, so she's like weathered recessions and, you know, gone through all the... So in a way she like mentored you a little bit. Like after that kind yeah. of travel, she kind of took you under her wing and like showed you the ropes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like she was really good. Really, really, really good. Was what you thought about running a gallery different than when you were actually in it? Um, no, it's the same, but it's more tiring. <laughs> like, more effort? There's a lot more effort because, um, so aside from her, I started working at another art gallery in London as well, um, just interning and then ended up kind of like running the gallery. Oh, cool. Um, but you've always got someone to bounce off of because it's not yours. Mm -hmm. So... Even though I was used to working longer hours from my career um, in tax, <clears throat> I'd always work longer hours. And sometimes we'd be up or I'd be like, I don't know, sleeping or something. And my phone would be ringing. It would be the gallery owner at like two in the morning saying like, Nicola, we need to do this. Or have you done that? And I can like, you can spring into action. But I think I never fully appreciated what it is to be the person that needs to call you at two in the morning uh, to say, yeah. is this done? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, now you're on the other side with yeah. those ideas at two in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And it messes up your sleep, messes, like, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, how's it going so far? Like, like now that you've been in D.C., like, actually, before I ask that question, when you were in, you said... UK? Yeah, London. When you were in London and you were planning this move to come here and kind of getting things together, was it that you, like, did you find a space already? Like, how did you get all that ready? Did you come here? Like, did you, did you come off the bus here and you were like, oh, let me find something? Like, how was that? Um, so it did take, like I said, it took like two years in the making. Mm -hmm. So it was, there was like back and forth travel, finding places. 
um, you know, just meeting with people and kind of getting to understand the art scene a bit, then I'd have to go home and then, you know, some the place I'd found fell through, so I then had to come back and then um, found another place and that was all going ahead and that was fine and then I came here and <clears throat> um, that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So I then had to... Um, find somewhere else and Oof. it was so it's just it's been like a constant um because it's all about space fight. it's like all about space i feel like for an art gallery it's it's all about um do you know for me it's more about feeling mm. so everything i do it just has to feel right if i if i start to question it or think mm, not sure or anything like that i just it's just not for me so if you saw eleven eleven before the building before I went in there and turned it into a gallery, you'd be like, you would never have thought it could be, it could look the way it does. I drove by it all the time, but I never saw the insides or even peeked through the windows, mostly just driving by that same mm. corner all the time. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people do that, and so they don't even realize that I'm in there. <laughs> a gallery seems so easy to build. It's, like, it's the easiest. Like raise, <laughs> raise the floor or something, make the floor nice and level, and then white walls. Like. You don't even have to do that. If you look at the floor in um, 11.11, like, it's literally raw. Like, this floor in here is, like, well posh compared to what we Yeah, it's got. like plywood. It's like plywood. There's black tape over holes. and But you know what? It all adds to it. It, mm-hmm. it just adds to the vibe of the space. It adds to... Um, the environment, it then doesn't take away from the artwork. It, or rather, it makes the artwork more of the main feature. It makes it, it, makes yeah. it feel more like you're, like it's happening, you know? It's not it, the unpolished feeling sometimes more comforting, I yeah. feel like, than just this very sterile environment. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what... Well, the type of artwork I carry as well is, um, like, UK contemporary and urban. So it kind of fits that space mm. as well and it fits the rawness of it um and i know that if any of the artists that i work with in london were to come over they'd be like oh it's pretty cool uh, because it is so like unfinished yeah it's gotta be cool for an artist in london be like yeah i'm represented in in washington dc like that's gotta be such a cool look for them uh, i don't know you know i think they might think that if it was new york oh uh, i think i don't know because we're not so strangely enough like dc is not that big outside of dc it's not no. Oh, that sucks. No. I know, randomly, especially in London, like, people would more, we more look to New York mm. or the big, the major cities. Like LA than, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's more what, if we think, oh, America, that's what we look at. We don't, we're never really, like, looking at DC. Now you're right. No one looks at DC as an art place, which is why, which is why there's so much opportunity here, mm, especially yeah. for something like what you're doing. Yeah, I think so. And also, I think because DC is changing... There's so many people now. So, like, years ago, we always knew that <clears throat> I think it was something like 5% of Americans had a passport. Oh, wow. Um, and I think it was that, that was a statistic. It was definitely, like, around that number. It wasn't a high number. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, I think for us, it was something like 5% didn't have a passport. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, um, uh, I think now with, like social media and the world is a lot smaller nowadays so people are traveling more and stuff so a lot of the people that come to 1111 and a lot of my collectors have all kind of like they've traveled to london they've mostly been to london i should say so the artwork's not 
too unfamiliar. Um, we have a lot of street art in London as well in certain pockets. Um, yeah, you guys do. I've been watching this really cool YouTube channel where they follow graffiti artists in London oh, or yeah. like Paris and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Or sorry, oh my God, it's not the same spot. London, no, but, Paris but, is in France. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I'm American. But, <laughs> but, forgive you. But um, no, no. But specifically London, where they'll follow a graffiti artist and yeah. they'll like blur his face or he like wear a mask yeah. just like, in broad daylight, watching him tag stuff, and it's so cool. Yeah. Like yeah, the balls yeah. on these dudes just going through, just walking through. Doo, doo, doo. Oh, is that a wall right there? And they just yeah, they just. And that's like the whole theme of the channel. It's just so fast. Yeah, so there's like there's whole pockets of um, London, and I, I I talk mostly about London and not the rest of England or the UK because I'm from London and I I'm not too familiar with the rest of England's art mm -hmm. street art. I know there's like pieces elsewhere, like there's there's like pockets elsewhere of like street art and stuff. But just from my experience in London, like, I know I can talk on London. Um, but we've got like Shoreditch um, and the Brick Lane area, which is in East London. That is like majorly, that is like an outdoor art gallery. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah, which is really cool. And we've got um, Croydon, which is, <laughs> it's not London, it's, it's London. It's are South London. Are it's they like more friendly to like graffiti culture and mural culture over there? Because I feel like when I see artists I follow, especially on YouTube, when they travel to different places like mm -hmm. in Europe and stuff like that, that a lot of cities have designated areas for like graffiti and yeah. spray paint. Like it's, they kind of have it like as more of like a, as part of their like social fabric as opposed to here it's on your business or something like that. Yeah, here is more, um, it's, it's so structured, everything's so structured. And don't get me wrong, in London, you can't just like be like, oh, there's a wall, I'm going to paint a beautiful mural and get a cherry picker and go up to the top. Like, there is a there is red tape and there is all of that stuff, um, like the, the, the bureaucracy and stuff to go through. Oh. Um, but it, it doesn't feel as, like, restrictive. Mm, it doesn't okay. feel... It doesn't feel as planned out, if mm. you get what I mean. So it yeah. doesn't feel like there's a big wall... So we're going to put one piece of art, one big mural there, and then there'll be another wall a mile down the road with another mural, and we're going to call that an arts district. It's not like that. <clears throat> it's kind of like... So the gallery I worked with was in Croydon, and that um, the owner of the gallery was responsible for all of the artwork in Croydon. And I can't remember how many pieces there were when I left, but they were, like, really, really big names there. Um... And so that was all managed by his gallery. And it was called, like, the Croydon Collection. And it's just basically turned Croydon into a big street art gallery. That's cool. Which is really cool. W yeah. Was there any hesitation to try opening a gallery in London? Or, or what was the feeling there? I just knew I wanted to be here. You just knew it? Yeah. So people kept saying it, like, you know, why don't you do it in London first and then grow to... And I was like, no, because I know I'm supposed to be in D.C. I mean, I think, it, I honestly, I think you're here at like the perfect time. I, I, there's something about this time period in, mm -hmm. in DC art culture that is super valuable that people are going to look back on and be like, that was the sweet spot before mm. whatever it is. Well, hopefully whatever it is, is more organic. Mm, as opposed to? Struct the structure and the, you know, this, you have to do this to be in the art world, you have to... Well, that's the thing is I feel like there's really not, I feel like there's not much structure here. So there's a lot of opportunity in the art world to 
build and establish something yourself, which is... I don't know, you know, I feel like, I feel like there's, there's, I know what you're saying about the structure, but I feel like there's like... Could you move that microphone towards your face or point it towards your face? Back. Is that right? You can, you can move the whole like, the thing, like, there you go. Like that. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So I want people to hear your beautiful accent. <laughs> Why, thank you. Um, yeah, there's something about, um, it, it doesn't, you know, I think it just, it's not that it's so structured here. It just doesn't feel as... Organic. Hmm. I don't know. Sense? It just doesn't feel as like natural. It just feels like it's kind of like you've got loads of artists here, loads, and you've got some really great quality art. I think maybe I'm going by the street art. It just feels as sort of like I was speaking to somebody the other the other day, and she was saying that she feels, and this is something I've said as well before. If you look at a lot of the street art in DC, there's probably like. It's not much, though. There's quite a few pieces, you know. I, I think there's quite a few pieces. It's are, not are, are you like, talking street art like murals? Are you talking street art like graffiti and stickers? Murals. Okay, okay, yeah. that's different than yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but she was saying that there's like probably no more than like two or three artists that kind of do all the big murals. True. Um, and I think that's what's different with London. Like everybody who does murals does murals. Like, you can go to Croydon and you're not going to see two specific artists. You're going to see, mm. you know, big names. Well, I think that's because of, of how small the art scene is here. It's so small that the same people who have say and the same people who are on that level to even, mm. even mm. to do a mural, they yeah. just kind of keep evolving in these circles because yeah. the same people get the same opportunities. They have yeah. proven track record. Yeah, and there's yeah. just not enough opportunities. So they yeah. just kind of go. It's easier. Yeah. To, yeah. And I, I completely get that. And I can I can see that, but the problem is you can see it. Oh. Do you know what I mean? You can see yeah. that it's easier to get the same artists to keep doing it, but you just don't give the opportunities to other artists, and that's how you end up losing artists because they go up to New York, they get walls. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like so, therefore, then DC loses real good talent. Yeah, to bigger I, cities. I haven't noticed too many artists moving away to New York recently. If anything, I've moved. I've spoken to people coming from LA and from New York to here. To here. There's a lot of people coming here as yeah. well, actually. And so maybe that is actually where you're saying the kind of sweet spot. But I think that like, I don't know. I feel that there's pre also now that I'm in the gallery, Yeah, I'm so focused on the gallery. Yeah. I don't get time to really like look around or I don't even get time to like network in the art world. Do you know what I mean? And that's what I really, really want to do. But I just don't have the time. But so everything I'm kind of saying is probably a bit dated. No, it's just your perspective. But it, it does feel that it's the same. It does feel. I mean, you've got Pow Wow. Yeah. And they bring in like really, really freaking great artists. They do. They bring in really, really great artists. Um, and it doesn't feel so DC centric. Mm. Wait, I mean, I think you have like Pow Wow, you have No Kings, which does a large portion mm. of walls. Mm. Then you have a couple of small artists like, uh, oh my God, I'm going to say her name, like Miss Chuni. Uh, I know there's a guy who, his name's like Anciniac. Um, I, sh I probably shouldn't say artists' names completely wrong, but I, I, I see their murals. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I see their murals yeah. everywhere, like the same yeah. style and everything. Yeah, but that's, that's what I mean, like... Um, the artists that you've 
just named. Like, they're all really super talented and I love their work. But it is the same mm -hmm. when you go around. So if you look at, I don't know, go to like... And I don't want to keep sounding like London's just the greatest place on earth. Yeah, because we know DC We know is. it is, yeah. We know that London oh, is, oh. but we don't want to like keep saying it. Um, but no, I don't want to make out like it is the greatest place on earth. But I just think if you look at... Um, and if it wasn't, if it was so great, I probably wouldn't be here. But uh, um, it's too great, I thought. <laughs> yeah, no, but I do love DC. I do think DC is great. Um, yeah, if you look at the artists in our kind of little hubs, you just see more variety. Is my point basically mm. large scale variety? Yeah, I, I think it's just like the art ecosystem. Sometimes, like sometimes mm. in a place like this. There's not that many artists, I think, that can even execute a big mural like and, that. And that's the other thing, because murals are so difficult. There's yeah. a lot of scale. You've got to do a lot to scale and things like that. So you do have to have that experience. But honestly, I don't know how you get the experience. I know I was speaking to somebody once and he was saying, um, or she was saying actually, that she had to leave DC to get experience. Yeah. I've seen that work out really well for people where yeah. they leave DC, they get experience somewhere else and then come back and, then, come back, and mm. then they're like a whole different animal. That's way mm. more polished. That's a beast. They come yeah. back as beasts. Like Chris like Pyro did. That's exactly what he did. If you're familiar yeah. with Chris Pyro, he's a guy mm. who did the door. He just had a big mm. solo exhibition at Mahari Sakari gallery mm. in, off H street. And that's very much what he did. He left, uh, did some stuff in, in, uh, Wynwood in Miami, mm. did some stuff in LA and he came back like a whole different, different. artist because yeah. he had all these good looks from big names, big yeah. companies. He did murals. And so yeah. he could do all these things that other artists can't and let yeah. alone have the experience. And it really just this last year for him has just been insane. Yeah. It's, 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 I think that's the same with most things in life, though. I think if you don't leave, you don't grow. So if you don't, for me, I think travel is the most important thing anyone can do in life, in their life. And it's, um, and it's not, I don't mean like travel around the US. I mean like literally travel abroad, go to Asia, go to, you know, just go to Europe, go to different continents um, because you learn and in learning you grow. Do you know what I mean? 100% so. because before I ever traveled, and I'm not that well traveled, but I've mm -hmm. traveled a little bit around the world. You can't, like when you hear someone like you say that, you're like, oh, they're full of shit. Yeah, but when you, I get that a lot. When I say it, people are like, yeah, but I've been to Nevada. Yeah, but I've been to, no, but there's, you know, and yeah. it's like, no, but it's different. Like, it's so different. There's something about, there's something that happens to you when you go to, like, Paris or London or somewhere like that. Like, especially me when I came mm. back from going to France and Spain. It's just like, there. It flipped this switch yeah. that made me realize that the world's a lot bigger and there's yeah. a lot more opportunity than I realized that yeah. there's all these people over here in this part of the world that I just assumed was way different doing their thing, living yeah. a great life. And I come back to America, I go, dang, like, what is really up? Like, yeah. what do I really value here yeah. to, to keep doing for the rest of my life or something that I love that's not working for someone else? And it was just like you, how you traveled and you kind of had that existential yeah. crisis. I had that too after I came back and I thought, let me try and do something myself. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, I think like the first time I ever got on the, pl on the plane abroad was, I was like seven years old mm. and we went to Ghana in West Africa. Whoa. And, you know, that was a major culture shock. That's different. I think Ghana in the 80s, <laughs> give it away my age, but in the <laughs> 80s. And... It was like, 
I was depressed. <laughs> in Ghana? In Ghana, I was depressed, man. I was like, you know, it's this, it's that, and it's, oh, I don't like it, oh, I can't eat the food, and oh, it's... And that was like as a seven-year-old, and I was one of four children then. And my brother and sisters loved it. They loved every single day of it. I hated every single day. Damn. <laughs> but I missed my dad. A lot of it was I missed my dad. Oh, okay. um, I used to do everything with my dad, so it was hard to like be away from him for that long and stuff. And But that was my first exposure to a completely different way of life, a completely different culture. Mm. Um, and not in my... So everyone, like, you could say, oh, like, my grandfather was from Ghana. So he... We had that kind of Ghanaian influence, but it's not the same when you're not in that country to actually see... So he never spoke his language to us, obviously, because we didn't understand it. But when you're in Ghana and you're like, oh, my grandpa says things like that. Or, oh, that sounds like grandpa or that. Do you know what I mean? So, like, travel's so important, I think. It's really, it's probably most important for children as well to travel and experience other cultures. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like when I was younger, I never appreciated it as much. Like, now that I'm older, I feel like it means more. Yeah, but I think when you do it young, you just... So, like, my nieces and nephews have all lived abroad at some point. They've all, um, you know, they travel a lot and mm. stuff like that. And they've been doing that from a young age as well. And I look at them now and they're so grounded. Like, they're teenagers now. They're, like, 18, 19. And they're so grounded and they're so well-rounded. And they're mm. accepting of everything and everyone. And there's not this, like, we're this or we're that or this is what it should be. It's kind of like they're just... It's almost like they're citizens of the world. Like the universal perspective because they could, they've seen society in different ways. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, my niece, for example, she's lived in uh, London. She's lived in Ghana for a bit. She's lived in Dubai oh, wow. for a couple of years. She's now back in... Uh, I'm going to get this wrong. She's in Birmingham doing at university. Jeez. So she's like, she's really young still, but she's so well-rounded because of travel. The thing you said about people not in America, 5% don't have passports, but here 5% do that have passports. That was in the UK. In the UK, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like that's so true because going abroad and, and that much travel, I feel like isn't mm. as celebrated here or it's not mm. as common. Well, I think what we have to remember is in America, you have everything. That's true. You don't need to leave. Especially on the East Coast, you kind of have everything represented. Yeah. So for us, if you want a proper beach holiday, you're not getting that in the UK. That's true. That's <laughs> you're true. not going to get sunshine and clear water. Yeah. You could go to I mean? the beach. You could go skiing in the winter, snowboarding. Yeah. You, you could, can do yeah. everything we travel for, you have here. So I think that's why you don't travel as much because you don't really need to. One thing that I found fascinating is... Now that I've been living in D.C., I started going to art galleries by myself, and I started reading the write-ups on a lot of pieces. Mm. And it's so fascinating to see how many artists were inspired by America, mm. especially the Midwest and mm. stuff like that. And mm. it made me realize that they all want to travel here yes. to get inspiration. I was yeah. like, oh, that's really interesting because yeah. they saw that we had so much stuff going Everything on. here. Yeah. And you've got to remember as well, especially in the U.K., <laughs> we don't – like, we look to America. Mm. 
So all of our television is American. Our music is American. Uh, well, was American, um, I should say, because now that's changing. And we've now got, we've managed to build like a really cool music scene um, that crosses genres and, you know, and they're, our artists are now recognised on a world stage. Definitely. And they're not having to, you know, rap with an American accent anymore. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I was, like, that was so funny when... when, when, <laughs> when U- UK artists start singing in English, like an English accent or American accent. Sorry, it's like, is that how it's? Is that yes. just how singing's supposed to be? Like, why does yeah, no one in America? Still, yeah. Like, why does no one in America start rapping with with, a, with an England accent? You know, like that'd be kind of funny. I know, I know. You know what it is though? It's just America is like a, it's a superpower basically, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a great place. It is a great place, and there's a lot of opportunity. And there's, I feel like in America you can kind of be who you want to be mm-hmm. um to a degree because i feel like i'm struggling just being me <laughs> i probably need to switch it up a bit and probably be a bit more american but i'm very british how would you be more american i don't know maybe more <laughs> easy going <laughs> maybe be more easy going less uptight i don't know point that mic towards your mouth just like, you can like go like that like, like just towards your mouth your mouth ain't over there. There you <laughs> it go. It feels like it is. It's because I'm looking at you. Yeah, like, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. I just want people to hear you. That's all. Is it? Is that towards my mouth? A little bit more. There you go. All right. There you go. Like basically on my mouth. You're going to end up with red lipstick on That's the fine. That's, That's fine. That's fine. All right. You know, it's cool. I ain't worried about it. But so, so when it comes to running an art gallery, like what, what, because from my perspective, I don't have much. But for me, when I look at what makes a successful art gallery, it's can you sell these paintings? Is that it? Like what goes into running a successful art gallery that stays and, and develops and, and becomes a brand name? Because there's so many galleries that pop up around here that just mm-hmm. come come and go like tides. Like what is it that will that is the most important thing that creates that long-term longevity and profitability? I think it's, well... I'm probably, 11.11 probably in its infancy to really, to really be able to kind of answer that, if yeah. you know what I mean. Like I haven't been established for, I haven't even been open a year. I've been yeah. open like five months or something. So I don't know, but I think just from experience, I don't know, you know, because I don't know why the others have gone out of business. Like there's so much, there's a lot of, um, so galleries can can literally be financial drains. Mm. So if you're not selling work, but you've got bills to pay, it's almost like, well, where do you get that money from? I think um, for me, my living costs, I keep my living costs very low. Um, and just like my social, my social out, outings, if you like, and stuff. I just try to keep the cost as low as possible. Not to be like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm frugal, but I'm not frivolous. I don't go out and be like, oh, I've got an art gallery. And, you know, people say to me, oh, you've got an art gallery. Oh, you must be loaded. And it's like, I'm actually the complete opposite. Man. <laughs> like, sometimes I don't know where I'm getting money from. Do you I, know what I mean? I mean, so. I think it's like that for any business that in the beginning, in the infancy, it's, it's a struggle. But like that lady that inspired you to get into it, what was she doing that? like has made it so successful for so long is it just simply moving art it's so there is that um i think there's things 
that she does otherwise like you know she's maybe part of boards you know she she works with like really established artists mm -hmm. and stuff um i don't know for her i don't want to talk too much on her situation because i don't know i don't know what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate to say if you get what i mean but i know that like she works really hard and she was a person who told me that you know one day you could have literally nothing in your bank account and yet you still have to show up you know like someone's going to come to you with a bill and you just can't pay it but you still have to like be present you still you can't just be like oh i'm not getting out of bed today because i can't afford to live do yeah. you know what i mean like that and, one saw it. yeah and she she was saying like there are days when you will have nothing and then there's days when you're just going to have everything. Feast or famine. Yeah. So I think it's a case of, from well, from what I've seen and experienced from the galleries that I've been in, um, it's just about being realistic with your money, you know. And I think art comes with a certain kudos. Or, like, if you open a sweet shop mm -hmm. um, or a... What, uh, <sighs> remember candy store there you go there i mean i kind of i kind of figured that <laughs> yeah. one out was sweet shop but yeah. candy store <laughs> um if you open a candy store um oh let me just say sweet shop because yeah i know sweet shops yeah. um if you open a sweet shop right people don't say like oh my god you've got a sweet shop you must be loaded because there's no association with wealth in that way if that makes sense but if you say if you open an art gallery and people are like oh you're loaded oh you must have money and it's like no, like I no, bro, like I really don't have that. Do you know what I mean? It's like so. I actually now really don't say I have a gallery much to people. I'd more say I work in a gallery, mm. um, just to avoid that perception. I guess issue. yeah, it's like that awkward conversation for ignorant people who just don't know. Yeah, yeah. So so, I guess to me it starts to seem like well obviously you have to sell more so being in dc it's like is it you have to access the art market like is there like a certain art market or demographic of people who can afford the quality of art you're selling like how is how is that navigating those seas here um so one thing i'm really conscious of is um price points so i make sure that i've got artwork that can suit i've got artwork at all price points mm -hmm. so i think the cheapest piece of art I've got is maybe $80. Oh, wow. And the highest piece at the moment that I've got is 10000 Oh, wow. So I, it's so important to me. It's one of the things behind, one of the kind of motivating factors behind 11.11, and we were speaking a bit about this before we started recording, was it's so important to me that art is accessible to all, like truly accessible to yeah, all. I couldn't agree more. Um and exclusive to none. And I think you find a lot of people, gallerists say that, like, oh, yeah, art should be for everybody, but then nothing in your gallery could be bought by everybody. It can only be sort of bought by a certain demographic. Looking at art's so, for everyone. Yeah. But not owning <laughs> not art. owning art, yeah. owning original art is for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And I do a lot of um, prints mm. because they are a lot more affordable. Um, and they're good ways to test the market because they are a bit more affordable. Ah, kind of see um, what people are feeling, like yeah. colors and stuff like that. See what's what's like really kind of popular. So here I notice that like bold colors sell. I noticed that too. Yeah, bold, really bold colors. Sell. I was I was helping out my buddy Henry, uh, who I helped produce his art show, and he did he did like a like a booth at 
Art Rave, or which is they did it in Dubai Underground. And it's underground right. metro station, and they just had a bunch of artists and artisans pop up. Mm-hmm. And I was helping them out for a few hours, and I did it for a few weekends in a row just because it was Sunday. I had nothing to do. He's a homie. Yeah. I go help him out. And I noticed that you're right. Every the things that sold mm-hmm. the most because he sold like a lot of prints, very affordable. Yeah, um, almost too affordable. Jesus, the guy's too nice. <laughs> um, it was bold and icons like. Mm-hmm one color backgrounds with just a icon on it mm, like mm. a wave or a yeah. trumpet or something and yeah. that those were the biggest polls for people yeah it's it's really interesting um and i think here I'm trying to think of what i've sold one of the things i've noticed here though as well is when it comes to prints i think we are a bit more advanced in the print market mm-hmm. um than here so we have I mean you've been in the gallery so if you look at a lot of the artwork we've got in there a lot of people are surprised at their prints Mm. because of the depth and the textures and stuff like that so um what else sells here I think as well I notice originals people do like originals here um but that said but I've sold mostly prints so yeah I think I think people like stuff that's new. People like things that are different and they like to be unique. Yeah, I, I really don't know what real art collectors are like. I've never experienced that many. The, the one run-in I, I've had was when I was a part of a group exhibition about, it was about like instant film. Mm-hmm. And so I submitted like some instacks that were pretty nice, some artistic ones. And the curator was selling every piece framed for, like every print, every like Instax or Polaroid was framed, really nice presentation for 300 a piece. And to mm. me, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this is a ridiculous price. Mm. But then, and I was talking to her at the event, and I told her this to her face. I was like, 300? I was like, is that, is that real? Like, is that reasonable? Something to buy that? And she goes, oh yeah. So she calls over this collector. He had like a pin mm. that said collector. She goes, hey, she's like, what? She goes, he's asked me about the price and uh, about 300. And he goes, he's kind of the last, he goes, ha ha, he's like 300. She's like, that's kind of like an impulse buy for me. Mm. I'm like, mm. I'm like, where the hell do you live? Let yeah. me, let, can we become <laughs> friends? Like, he's like, that's an impulse buy. Then he like points to this grand piece that was like mm. 10 foot by 12 foot. He's like, you see that? He's like, that artist, like, I've been trying to buy their piece for so much. He's like, that piece over there goes for like 10 grand or something like that. He's like, if I could, I'd buy it. But mm. it's like not for sale. And it just kind of shook me. And I realized, wow, like I'm, the way I think about approaching art and the way people like real collectors buy mm. it is a whole different ball mm. game. Yeah. So there's pieces that are like... Um, so say something like that, you've got to think, you know, it's not going to just be printed on, but they wouldn't have gone to like CVS and printed mm. the, the image. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So the paper costs, for example, firstly, um, the frame would cost because I'm assuming it would be a bespoke frame. Um, that's an assumption I'm making. <laughs> it looked like a normal frame to me, but I right. guess I don't know what it was. <laughs> but okay, so in eleven eleven, it's all bespoke framing. Meaning, um, so the frames are made for each piece. And are you framing them, or is that the artist's job? Uh, I'm framing them. Okay, I'm framing them because it's cheaper for me to ship them here and frame them here, ah, as opposed to ship from London or the UK. Yeah, and already framed yeah um also there's like the risks of like glass breaking and then it damages the print and stuff like that so i generally frame um but even if i was in london it would all be bespoke frames Mm. so and i think that's the other thing that 
maybe isn't appreciated as much here um, is like framing. Um, well, it's not to say it's not appreciated. It's not... There's, you know what it is? There's a difference between art and fine art. Really? Yeah, and fine that? art... Fine art is like... That's those are those are when you say like proper collectors. I think anyone that buys art is a collector yeah. of art. Um, I just think there's a difference between buying and framing art and buying and framing fine art. So for me, if I was just buying something um, small, um, I think trying to think what I bought recently. Uh, what's the difference between art and fine art? I'm trying. I'm trying to realize what you're saying there. So fine art is more like it's it's like a higher. Um, so is this? Would you consider this fine art? This piece right next to us? Uh, I don't know much about this okay. artist so to you, tell you, the truth. You kind of have to know, know about the artist, I guess. It's it's more about the market. So you mm. can look at like price points. You can look at maybe their career, where they're known, how it's produced. You know the quality of the canvas, the quality of the stretcher. There's there's um, there's a difference. So there's you mean difference. like in the approach? So whether this what this canvas is like a recycled canvas or not? Like so, like how he made it? Is it like the details of it or something? I'm trying no, to understand here. It's more like um, I don't know, I've got myself into this now. I, it's more like a. So you know you've got different points of the market. Yeah. For example, you've got like not every entry-level artist is going to produce fine art because they're not experienced. They don't have that. Maybe they don't have the portfolio. They don't have the career behind them. They don't have the galleries. You know, they don't command a certain what you're saying. St standard within the art market. So you kind of go through it. As you go through your career, you kind of develop further and further. That makes sense. The more you work at something, the, the finer you perfect it, like the, the, mm. the more like seamless and a more attention to detail and all those little yeah, things maybe start yeah. to come together. Like this might be this guy's first gallery. So sure it's art and it's well-crafted, but I guess the finer element is that like, is he collected? What's the quality yeah. of the canvas? Is this, is this stuff going to last many years? Is, is that maybe? Those sorts of things. Yeah. So you look at like, if it was on paper, you'd look at, is it archival paper? Is it framed? You know, are the hinges used in the frame archival? Is it going to damage? Is, you know, will it get um, bleached by the sun? Will it, you know? I think the easiest way for me to think about it is, is, is with photographic fine art because I think of something like I've done where I might just print it out at home and frame it in an Ikea frame. Mm. That's not fine art. That's just mm. a piece of art. Mm. As opposed to a uh, fine art artist like um, like Tyler Shields who mm. will do the screen printed on the nice archival yeah. paper, like the paper that's chosen specifically for that. Yeah. Because I've had my mind blown by a guy who came and told mm. me all about photographic paper, which was a whole crazy yeah, thing. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't I, it? Yeah. I didn't know it's, it's that crazy. there are like yeah. a thousand different kinds of paper. You can have yeah. thick paper, matte paper, different yeah. linens yeah. and textures, like printed mm. on that. And it's then, wild. And I then, don't know much about photography. Yeah, but that's, that's, but that's like my way of breaking it down and like yeah. the, the frame being handmade and it's yeah. like a, the glass has the tint on it so it yeah. doesn't get UV stuff. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, so if I was buying, say, and this is just a, a rough example. If I was buying something from Ikea, mm -hmm. yeah, um, I wouldn't worry about putting it in a bespoke frame. 
Yeah, you put it in an Ikea frame. I just put it in an Ikea frame. Yeah, and sling it on the wall and yeah. what happens to it happens yeah, to it. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But if I was buying a, something similar from a, an established artist and, again, it doesn't even... You can buy... I don't know how much um, artwork is in Ikea. I don't know, but... you it's cheap. I think they do have some pieces that are a bit pricier. Yeah, like 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think they do. Well, let's no, just, they, they you know, do, they do, they do. Yeah, let's just say that. they have a piece for, okay, let's say they have a piece for 100. Okay, it seems like a big piece at Ikea. Dollars, yeah. Like the one that covers the entire wall. Yeah, definitely something. that, yeah. yeah. Right, so let's just say they have that. I would probably buy, put that in an Ikea frame and not think twice. Yeah, and that's just regular art, not fine art. That's just regular art. Mm-hmm. If I then went to... I don't know, if I then bought a piece in my gallery for $100, I would get that framed behind UV glass Mm. because it's not just a standard print. It's going to be, you know, um, it needs to be protected, basically. Mm Is, is the best way I can kind of think of it. How, how do you convince someone who doesn't collect art to invest in art? Um, I, I think art... So firstly, I never try to encourage people to buy art. I okay. just... Because I think it's subjective and I think mm-hmm. you have to really connect to a piece to buy it. Yeah. And when you connect, you know it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you genuinely know it. So yeah. I put a piece on my Instagram the other day. It's by an artist... Um, I can never pronounce his surname, but um, his name's Dave, <laughs> very English. Dave. Um, and he's not even English. Well, he is English, but... Um, hey, Dave. <laughs> yeah, he's like really cool. Um, and it, I saw this piece being released and it was a $10 note. Um, and on it, it says, do what you love and the money will follow. Mm-hmm. Um and I knew I wanted it. I, I just saw an image, a picture of it, a digital image. And I connected and I knew I wanted it. And when I went to get it, they'd sold out. Wow. And then the gallery called me back and said, we've got one here, but it's damaged. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah. Wow. How much you pay for that? Uh... Honestly, I can't remember. Oh, okay, okay. It was cheaper than, obviously it was damaged, so okay. it was cheaper than um, than the market rate. Um, but the point is, it meant so much to me. Like, I connected so much with this one piece that I just had to have it come hell or high water. Mm. And I didn't buy that as an investment. So I always think and advise that you shouldn't buy for an, as an investment. Ah, okay. You know, you get collectors, like real big-time collectors that buy as investors, um, buy for investment, sorry, and that's that's great for them. They know what they're doing. They, You know, it's a lot of risk. You can you can lose a lot. But normal people? Normal people, I would say, buy what you like. Ah, uh, something that really touches you, connects with you. Yeah, like you feel that. it. Like you genuinely feel it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the thing about that scares you about art is, you know, it might be even the, the, the price point of, 600 and below like if you're paying, buying mm-hmm. something for like 300 that you really connect with 
is that you, I feel like we never think about the fact that it's going to be on your wall for years. Yeah. You know, you might buy an Ikea couch for 300 That's gone in a year. Yeah. But this piece of art, well, you're gonna, what you're doing this piece it, of yeah. art that you, in, quote unquote, invested in, <laughs> you're going to have for a long time. And, yeah. And, you know, whether or not it appreciates in value, because I don't think it'll ever depreciate unless the artist mm. is just unknown. Maybe he mm. just ends up in the Salvation Army. But you're going to have this piece for a long time. And mm. it's going to be mm. a part of your home and a part of, like, your situation, how people perceive you. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I like prints, you know, because I think as well they can – you can see where the um, – you can kind of grasp the market. Mm. So if you get – and when I say prints, I should keep saying limited edition prints. Yeah, not like not like a poster print. Yeah, no, not like posters. But um, you can really like test the market. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our artists in in the genre that I work in and uh, that I work with is they do a lot of originals and prints, and that kind of bolsters the market. I mean, that just seems like a smart thing to do for any artist is to have originals printed and some merchandise. Like, that just seems like what you should be doing. Yeah, I'm I, I'm, I'm, funny on the merchandise. Why? Um, I don't know. It's a bit knick-knacky. Yeah, I get that. But the thing for me is that I feel like with so many artists who they're, they're having a social platform is really important because mm. that's how they can generate sales, build mm. their brand, build their business. Mm. Most of those people, if they connect with you, they most likely, they want different price points. So if they can get like a really well thought out shirt or like mm. a really well thought out mug, if that's mm. what you're collected, if that's yeah. what you're as an artist connected with, yeah, then I think that's nice because now all of a sudden you're in someone's home on a different price point. I think as well, the other thing is if you buy a mug and you really like it and you keep seeing this artist every time you go pick up your phone. There we go. Then you kind of be, you'll get like, okay, let me. It's like an easy way to start. Like, like, it's an easy entry. It's easy entry, but also for an artist, it's an easy way to make more money because I I see tons of artists who make a lot of money just off their mm. t-shirts or just off their... Yeah, t-shirts are different. That's merchandise. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But that's more like wearable art. True. Yeah. I see. It, it is merchandise, but yeah. I see it as like wearable art. Yeah, I'm not talking like... Like if you've knick-knack. got a mug at home, you're not like walking down the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking a cup of tea from your mug. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's my thinking on it. I'm not, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's got to do what they've got to do to make money. And it's not for me or anyone else to say what's right, what's wrong. And, you know, everyone does what they got to do to get by. Yeah. As you're just saying, though, if you're having like a little chash because it doesn't make sense. Are, are you annoyed by all the political activist art in D.C. yet? No. No. Do you ever think about it at all? No. It's such a DC-centric thing. It's a... If I see one more Ruth Bader Ginsburg freaking piece of artwork, (laughs) I'm going to punch it. I'm going to take my fist and put it through that piece of art. I'm getting used to the repetitiveness of DC anyway, so (sighs) it doesn't know. I mean, we've got... You've got all the kind of like, you know, I don't know, the Trump stuff it's so easy it's, it's easy it's, as, an, as an artist you're mm. clearly already going to be pocketed as like super liberal like mm. just do another trump piece it'll sell and there's another um we but then we also have the boris stuff so it, i don't know we it's kind of it, it just seems too easy to me sometimes as an artist like if it's to, to me when i see an artist who does all political activism stuff it just seems too easy like it's like for me it's like what else do you have to say to be honest, I don't think I've come across any artists like that. Oh, okay. That. I don't think I've come across any artists like that. 
I do. I feel like I see a lot of uh, like women artists who are just strictly female body positivity, which is nothing wrong with that. But that's like, but that's like the core of their themselves as an artist. It's just like, but that's just what they believe in. That's true. Do you know what I mean? And if you think like, you know, you don't have to believe in it. I don't have to believe in it. Yeah. We don't even have to like it. Do you know what I mean? But somebody does. And art is for everybody. And so I think like, so it's similar to like you with the podcast, for example. Okay. Which is the highest form of art, by the way. Which is the <sighs> tip of the top I know. form. Trust me, right? this is going to be gold in like <laughs> this, 10 years. It already Ooh, is. It is. Already they're going to be playing this in the Smithsonian <laughs> on repeat with, <laughs> the, with captions yeah, behind the glass. Yeah, it'll be with the girl that got deported. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, the... Oh, I forgot what I was saying now. Yeah, so like some people are going to listen to your podcast and they're going to be like, yeah, Bruce, you know, he's everything. You know, he talks life into everything. Yeah. And someone else is going to be like, well, you know, Bruce, yeah, he's all right, a bit opinionated, a bit this, a bit that. Do you know what I mean? So, but you're not going to focus on the people that think that you're going to more focus mm-hmm. on and continue developing your craft for the people that enjoy and appreciate what you do. Yeah. So like, you know, the, the feminist art or the female artists who are feminists and they, it is really important for them to promote, um, you know, body positivity or independence or, you know, what, whatever is relevant to them. Um, I think, it's really important that they have their space too. Of course. Because there's, I always look at it that there's like a little girl somewhere mm. who doesn't feel confident and could see this piece of art and it just changes her whole life. That's, but it's never going to resonate with you because you're never, you're never going to be or you never were that little girl. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but to me, like if you're painting only Ruth Bader Ginsburg prints with different colors, like it just seems kind of like gimmicky to me. As opposed to, it's like if a band only played covers, or if a band only played love songs, they never played like something <laughs> that wasn't about love. It just kind of yeah. seems like, all right, what else do you have to say? Like in some ways, I feel like I want to see what your imagination takes you like, as like an original piece. But that being said, I can see the argument for you know. It's your imaginative spin on yeah. female positivity or feminism yeah. Or, or, yeah. or political activism. Yeah, yeah. And there's somebody who appreciates it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. I think that's what we always have to remember is it's not for us, you, me, or anybody else to kind of censor that. We can ignore that. I would never that. censor someone. No. Yeah, not censor, but like, oh, it's like kind of rubbishing it by like, oh, I it's a bit. Saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, it might not be your style. It might not be mine, but it is theirs and it works for them. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I think when you stop seeing them, then you'll know it's not working. <laughs> do you know <laughs> That what is mean? true. I mean, the it's feminist a, movement is at an all-time high right now. Chicks yeah. with micro bangs and hairy armpits is the thing yeah. right now. You probably don't catch it, but I'm on social media all the time and that is like the thing. Yeah, it's, do you know, I think, so something I always say is at this moment in time, everybody has their fight. Everyone is fighting for something. That's true. Like, you might be fighting for guys with long hair. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, where else my long hair bearded, bearded <laughs> brothers yeah, like, at? Where you at? But you could be, like, there's something, that if you look on social media, everybody is fighting for something. Like, everyone believes in something. It's either women's rights you know, racial equality, um, 
I don't know, coronavirus testing. I don't know. But everyone's fighting for something. I'm not fighting for anything. I don't feel like I am. I don't feel like I but have I feel like, like a... I should be. Well, I am kind of. I am fighting. I'm fighting to break down the racial silos in the art world. Oh, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, so I feel like, and I've, I've discussed this before um, with a few people, but I feel like if you're a black artist and you produce black artwork, mm-hmm. you, you, know, you can go rel- quite far in your career. Um, and when I say black artwork, I mean like black art. Like, right? like art that depicts black people? Yeah. Okay. And maybe the struggle or, I don't know, the savannah, a savannah and a woman carrying water on her head or whatever. Well, that's more African art. But Yeah. Um, I get what you're saying. Though. Yeah. If you, if you produce that kind of art, you can go really far in your career. Yeah. Because there's a black, well, not to say there's a black art gallery, but there's a gallery that specializes in that style of art. Yeah. And they expect to see you at their doors. Yeah, like black wokeness, like an artist who's like, yeah. it's like their, their, their angle is their activism th- through depicting black people. Or, yeah. Or, you get what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah. But then if you're a black artist and you're just part of the, you know, the general conversation, the general contemporary art conversation, yeah. take Marley, for example. Yeah. He will find it harder to get into a gallery because he's black and he's not working within the... The black voice, like the, the black angle, I guess. Yeah, he's not, he's not operating within the box that's been set for him Yeah, as an artist who's black. And see, and that's the thing that I, I, was, tr- I, I was trying to mention before with mm. the activism stuff and the feminism stuff. Mm. It's very similar to that point where it's like, I feel like as a black artist, it's like, all right, do I do, I do art around the struggle of being black in America? Which mm. seems easy. I'm not mm. going to lie. It, I don't mean that in a bad way, but it can seems like an easy out to be successful. Or, or, or like, what's my original voice here? Like, like Marley, who you wouldn't know his ethnicity or race or anything through mm. his art. Not that it matters. Mm, not mm. that it matters. Not that he shouldn't. Mm. But I'm just saying one seems like you, like you said, like, you know, it would be more successful. One seems mm. more challenging. Mm. Well, I think, again, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to seem like I'm that person that always sits on the fence, but I'm learning you're a gallery owner i'm not <laughs> i'm learning to sit on the face but what i would say is just on that point of like it seems easy to produce um the black art kind yeah. of thing all artists produce what they see mm-hmm. and they produce work that um based on experiences and um places and people that have had an impact 100%. on them so i don't know what it is to be an african-american i'm I'm never gonna know that just like you're never gonna know it big facts and so i don't i would never want to say it's easy to produce that type of artwork because you don't know what the artist has to go through True. in order to produce that artwork mm-hmm. um so just just to kind of like I don't want to say pull you up on that, but just to kind of like educate you a bit more on that. Please, please. That it's not, I think it's, I don't, I don't know every artist's intentions. I genuinely don't. But I know that if it was a, I don't know, a Jewish or somebody, you know, somebody not black producing artwork that was um, depicting the struggle that they go through. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know that we'd be saying it seems easy because we would appreciate more the struggle 
that they went through. Oh, I think I say that because I see it a lot. But at the same time, it could be because it could be because that struggle is happening a lot. A lot, yeah. Exactly. And you're probably around a lot of black artists. I am. I'm in yes, DC. It's, exactly. I'm in Chocolate City, baby. Exactly. I know where I'm at. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, like, I don't see it a lot mm. because it's not what I'm from. Yeah. So. I don't, I just kind of think that, okay, that's their thing. And there's a space for them. And there's a space for everybody. Um, but 1111 is a space for the artist who is, uh, you know, maybe a woman and you're not producing work around feminism. Or even though, to be honest, I think a lot of my female artists do produce work around feminism. But I'm, I believe in it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I connect with it. So I said it. I guess it's like the guys, right? It's like it's like how you do it. It's not it's not for me it's like not about the idea, it's but it's about the execution. Like you could do a piece on feminism that's just so obviously just like, oh, feminism. Or you could do a piece that's super inspired and you're like, Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I yeah, you know, yeah. like and like, oh, Anna has that aspect to it. So I guess yeah. it's about like tastefully done versus yeah. being like yeah. just uh like I don't know, whatever that word would be. But- <laughs> Like easy, campy. I don't know. I don't know. I do have a piece of artwork that does say easy. You know, I think I'm gonna get it framed for you. <laughs> Please your... do. Please do. I, I love that. <laughs> but the point is, um, so on the feminism piece, I work with an artist, Delphine Le Bourgeois. She's French, um, and she has a whole her whole portfolio is around feminism, but it is very tastefully done mm. and. It's. It doesn't feel feminist. It kind of feels a bit more like, oh, that's a cool piece. That's you know, look, and this is what it. It's more when you start to dissect it that you get the feminist message, mm-hmm. um, or maybe not even feminist. Maybe it's just female empowerment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know, and it is really cool. There are really cool pieces. But just back to like what. We what I'm trying to achieve here with the racial silos Please, yeah. is, um, so take an artist like Marley, he'll find it harder to get into a gallery because mm-hmm. he's black, yeah, and not producing black artwork. Does that make sense? Yeah. So why do you think that is? Um, I just I don't know. I just think it's like an age old thing. People also you have to remember people gravitate to what they look like to mm. to what yeah to what they look like so if you look a lot look at a lot of maybe in in london and this isn't all i'm not saying all i'm just saying like a lot <laughs> um a lot of them are you know white middle class men yeah and it is what it is and it is what it is and so their artists are often white, middle-class male artists. Because they identify with them. Because they identify with them and they can all go out for a drink together and talk about the same thing. Mm. Um, similarly, I think that's why when you have black gallery owners, they tend to carry a lot of black art because they, the, work, the artwork resonates with them. Mm. That makes sense. You know sense. what I mean? Yeah, so, I mean? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Whereas I think for me, I've never really, I'm from a mixed race family. Mm. So the whole racial silo thing, we just didn't really have that. Especially because you're not identifiably African-American where you have yeah. to deal with that struggle. It's like, you, it's like. You it, it doesn't connect to me. Yeah. Um, so 
I I just think everyone should have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you feel that you're not getting into galleries, maybe it's because you're approaching galleries that don't carry your genre of art. Do, do you know what I mean? So it's like not necessarily every gallery is for you for some artists. Yeah, yeah. And 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 because of, especially in America, how you know racism has been a thing, all that stuff. It's mm. it's and very still much. Is. Yeah, it yeah. still is. It still yeah. is. But it's very much our in roots. Like that's a lot of how our history. Yeah, and like even the Smithsonian or the, the mm. portrait galleries, the national galleries of art. It's like eighty percent white, mm. old, dead artists. It's. Mm. And which I know for a fact they're all working on changing now and having more representation. Mm. But, you know, I don't know what caused that, but it could mm. be simply just America's history and background. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's it's also you've got to think art comes with its own um, reputation. Mm. And something I know being black from the UK is art is not really an industry that we're encouraged to go into for people in the UK or black people in the UK black people in the UK interesting um but it's again it's because you're looking at a place of if your art is is associated with wealth but artists are known to be poor yeah but so nobody wants their child to be poor <laughs> true do you know what I mean like yeah. you don't want to say like oh yeah son you go and paint you know that I'll look after you for the rest of your life like nobody wants to do that so there was previously i think now it's probably slightly changing or changed but there's just this thing of um you know following a traditional career route Mm. career path um and so there's not the focus there's not the encouragement there's not the creativity there's not the creative environment um within black households yeah traditionally yeah if that makes sense. i see what you're saying but yeah. it's so but when you're talking about these racial silos it's very much the idea of like marley is a perfect example where he doesn't make obviously black made art mm. although he is a black man mm. and how that makes it more difficult is that mm. can that apply to every other race as well or is it just kind of like or you just don't see it do you know what i i'm not from any other race <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. It's I like, don't know. I'm just curious. It's not my fight. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not, for me, it's something that's like, um, I, d- I don't know. Yeah, you know what you were talking about know. earlier, how I was like, how I was talking about how artists should have merchandise. Mm. I think now the perspective on artists being broke, starving artists is very much shifting because there's mm. so much more possibility because of the internet. Mm. Like now mm. when I look at successful artists, they have multiple streams of income mm. and probably don't even sell that much art. I'm mm. sure they do. But mm. now as an artist, if you are savvy enough to build your brand, maybe mm. start a YouTube channel, mm. keep up with your Instagram, network a little bit, you can have all these avenues now that traditionally like you're talking about weren't there before yeah, before yeah. you couldn't have a patreon or something yeah. five dollars a month before you couldn't have a youtube channel where if yeah. you grew it big enough you could get advertiser revenue yeah. or or you couldn't have a brand on instagram that where you could push your t-shirts which have the most insane profit margins yeah. for you yeah and then you still have group shows private shows solo yeah. shows yeah. being in your gallery so i feel like now building yeah you have market yeah, yeah you have all these different paths yeah. and place to put your hands that as an artist now it's no longer like a sad, desperate world. I think it's yeah. more of 
I agree. What can with you that. do? I think I think as well, social media, right? It and, and the internet. It closes the gap in terms of perceptions. Mm. So if you look at, I don't know, take um some really big artists that do a lot of merchandise, or they have a whole clothing line, for example. Okay. Um they were big. They kind of got big and then had the clothing lines. Oh, because they were big, they could have a clothing line. Kind of, yeah. Or they kind of reach a certain stage. Or they build it alongside, but it's not always the same. So it's not a piece of artwork on a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. But it's you kind of, they promote whatever the line is, the T-shirt line is, alongside the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, again... It's not for me to say who yeah. who does what, how, who approaches their market in what way. I think there's so many different routes to success. And I think as long as everyone's on their journey to success, whatever success may be, then they're doing, they're doing well. Well, you can't just be the stereotypical artist. Mark. You can't be that person and no. expect to get by. Like, mm. Someone who I, look up, who I look up to and who I view as the model of how an artist could run themselves successfully is this artist named this artist named 10 hundred based in seattle washington mm-hmm. and what he does is <clears throat> and he made an interesting change recently too is uh, as an artist he has a youtube channel which he's been doing for years so he's mm-hmm. growing i think he has a couple hundred thousand subscribers that's serious so he makes mm-hmm. some kind of money through there and then he had an actual physical space in seattle where he would sell only his mm-hmm. branded merchandise some collabs mm-hmm. and he also had half of it as an art gallery mm-hmm. And then, which is clever. Which is very clever. Mm-hmm. And he would do like monthly shows, and then, uh, and then he has his Patreon. But of mm-hmm. course, as everything grows, everything grows. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But what he, but what what he recently did, which was really fascinating to me, is that because of his online things, he mm-hmm. shut down. He closed down his storefront and his gallery, and he even said that he's like, look, he's like, it's been profitable since day one. Mm-hmm. This storefront. He's like, but it's a lot more work than if I was to just make YouTube yeah. videos and do all this other stuff. Yeah. To him, having a physical, physical space became unnecessary. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that's really interesting. I to can where, see how that could To happen. where the merchandise sells mm. and his mural work and mm. his YouTube channel is enough to sustain him. Yeah. Like he's got like yeah. a whole kind of like warehouse in his backyard where he does yeah. all this stuff. And I'm just like, damn, like that's the new model for being an artist. It's, yeah, it's completely different now. Um, it's very exciting now, I mm-hmm. think. And I think... Um, you can be spotted like around the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just easy, literally just easy. Like with a hashtag. Is that the world's flat now? It's, the yeah, internet made the world would, flat. It's so small, and that's why, as well, I say it's so important to travel, and yeah. it's so important to travel as a child, so that you understand all of this. You, True. You know, I think nowadays there's a perception of like because on the internet you can research everything mm-hmm. so it's like oh i don't need to because i can research it researching it and doing it are two different things oh god yeah um so yeah no i think there's a there's a case you know what i just think there's a case for everything that's true <laughs> there's a case that's true for absolutely everything the same way as probably some guy who made one painting and sold it for half a million dollars exactly and it's just like it's a masterpiece <laughs> I don't know who the hell he is. He might be out there. Send him to 11 yeah. I don't know. Speaking of 11 11, you've done a great job of curating some really good local artists like Scojo oh, and like Noel. 
uh, and Marley, and uh, I mean, that's all I know off the top of my head, but those mm. are all very prominent artists who yeah, I've thought are operating at a very professional level. Yeah, and very. You've managed to make these amazing connections with them. Yeah, thank you. Um, to be honest, it's quite easy because they're so professional. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy, but um, I guess the curation isn't so like in pulling everything together and giving it a story or a theme. Um, but no, I've really enjoyed working with them and there's something about um so i specialize in british um contemporary and urban art because that's obviously what i've done for a few years now so you connect it's what i know yeah like yeah so but then working with and noel kind of he's perfect for he's, he's right up your alley perfect because he's british yeah you know he's american you know he's everything um so it's it's you know to to really broaden my horizons as well because i do think like if you do what you've always done you never kind of grow mm. you never learn anything more so for me it's really important to work with local artists who are professional and they're more like at the emerging stage of their career mm. um it's really important for me to do that because it, it kind of gives me an insight and an introduction into the DC and the American art scene, mm -hmm. um, which is something that when I came here last year, I didn't have. Mm -hmm. So thank you for saying that. It's yeah. going really well because that's probably the hardest part I, is trying to work it all out. That's a good way to describe it. It's like they're on that cusp of where they're very professional and very mm. good at what they do, where they... Mm are ready for that push mm. into, I guess, the collector stream or to the art world yeah. or whatever it is. I don't really know what to call it. Yeah, they're, they're kind of ready for the next stage. And what is that? Of their career. I think it's actually having a, a real established market. Mm. So actually having people who collect their artwork, uh, people who seek them out. Yeah. Um, you know, then the ultimate is auctions. That's like the final, not the final stage, but that's like the the kind of stage when you're really... <laughs> when you really... When you really made it yeah. and you're hitting auctions and stuff. And it's not, you know, we should remember that the when we, when these artists hit auctions, most times they're not actually making any money from the auction. Because someone's already bought it from them. Someone's already bought it. So it's the collector that makes the money, not Interesting. the artist. I kind of put that together, but I really didn't know that for, for sure. Yeah, no, because you've got to think, if you come and buy a piece from me and then that you put that into an auction, the artist doesn't get any money. Well, the artist got his money yeah. when you bought it. But it's yours. It's not his. It's interesting. It's kind yeah. of weird. It's an odd thing. There are some, sometimes there are some clause, you see like a clause where the artist gets a percentage and everything else. Um, but ultimately, that's kind of just how it works. The, the mm. collector benefits. How, at what point in like an artist's career do they have to be to get to that point? Like how do they, what's like the qualifications? Oh, you've got to be. Um, like what is, what is that thing that, makes them there is it the fact that they've built like a track record of sales and in uh, market around themselves or like is it i think so i'm not too well versed i've never kind of um been with an artist that's got to that point ah. i've only ever worked with artists that are either at that point or 
not. (laughs) Yeah, I get what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? So Uh, I don't quite know, but I know that it it just means that their work carries a lot more value. mm. So if you start out and you sell something for $100 and then you build your market and you go into auctions, suddenly you can sell it for, I know maybe you could sell it for $300, the next piece of work you produce, because you've got a market. What do you think of Banksy's shredding painting? <laughs> you caught that, right? The Sotheby's thing. Yeah, the South, yeah. Um, next question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I don't, well, I don't know. Like, it's hilarious. Like, uh, it just says something like that. He managed to infiltrate it and get them this piece and then just have a self-shredding it's hilarious a self-destructing art piece yeah i mean i think um with banksy he is um he that's gotta be a hot topic for you because he's from london right uh, he's from bristol well we we he's from the uk he's from england okay he's from english um so i think he he makes a good point. Mm. Um, I think if you look at, if you take, if you look at the message he's trying to put out, um, you'll kind of get it more. And it's a lot, the point of that wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this really cool thing and it's going to be a phenomenon. I think, I think it was more about the fact that it's a piece of paper. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think so too. Banksy's not the kind of guy to do something just, just for sensationalism. It's to it's, send a deeper message. Yeah. So he also has a, a piece called Morons, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. of his. And it's actually an auction house. And um, there's a piece being auctioned off. And on the easel, it says in the background something like, um, I can't believe you morons are paying for this shit or something. Or you, I can't the believe the piece itself says that. And the piece itself says it, and so the it doesn't say paying for this shit, but I can't. It says something and along those lines of like I can't believe you're like you're actually buying this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. for you're spending this amount of money on it. Um, as they spend this amount of money. As on they it. spend this amount of money. Um, I mean, I've heard a lot of things of, and ideas about that. The fact that we're sometimes overvaluing something to the point where other people can't enjoy that. Like, imagine if certain books that have been literary classics were only made one of one and they weren't reprinted or reproduced, then this amazing piece of art wouldn't have reached millions of people if it was, oh no, this book is a piece of art. Let's keep it behind a piece of glass as opposed to let's let people experience this Banksy or experience this piece of art. Yeah, and I think that's why most of his works are on the street as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So that everybody can experience it. Yeah. Um, I think the the work actually I just checked it does say can't believe you morons Can actually buy this shit. Let's see, oh wow, it's like yeah, a guy. At, it's a, an actual scene. A guy at the auction house is black and white. That's hilarious. Uh, this is just a print, I guess. The G. That's the print, print, but it was the the word in that I was trying to get. That's <laughs> yeah, because that's the word in that's on the actual original. Ah, I yeah. can't believe you morons are actually buying. <laughs> yeah, so ah, you so know, funny. I think. There's something quite candid in his work. And I think there's a lot of like quite strong messages in a lot of our artists' work. Mm. Um, But there's something about kind of it not being as in your face. Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? I guess so. I mean, Banksy, I, that's like the one of the biggest artists in the world right now. I mean, like, mm-hmm. he's definitely up there as far as popularity. Like, yeah, everyone, big like, time. If you ask anyone time. to name a famous artist, they're probably going to say Banksy. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Uh, not in DC, though, you know. A lot of people haven't even heard of Banksy. They'd probably say Picasso, honestly. Yeah. Let's be honest. They'd probably say <laughs> Bingo, Picasso. <laughs> and I think they probably think, like, Shepard Fairey or who they call Obey <laughs> oh, <laughs> because yeah. of his clothing line. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think there's just, we, I think we have a lot of political messages that are just not as in your face. Mm, something like that. Mm. Yeah, I know Banksy definitely has something to say about the area and about just his art is very activism mm, He's oriented. a really big activist. Yeah. And I think it's important to use your voice. I really do. Yeah, especially for someone like him who's got such a Mm. crazy big platform. Mm. The thing that I found was funnier, though, was did you see his thing at the um, Venice Biennale um, where he set up a store, similar to what he did in New York, but where he set up a store and, like, did a painting and the police came and, like, moved him on and moved him on and stuff and they didn't know it was Banksy. Wait, so he set up a store and just as, like, a random person? Yeah, just, like, because, you know, obviously if you're part of the... Venice Biennale, you're part of the Biennale. His was just like just outside. The Venice what? Uh, it's like an art, like a like you have the Miami Basel. Yeah, there's one in Venice. Ah, it's like okay. an arts festival type thing. Um, and he he set something up like just outside, just like a table <laughs> and an easel, and he kept getting moved on and moved on. And but it was, was the it proof a, of point. You think it was actually him there too? Yeah. Because no one knows who he looks like, so it could have been anyone. Yeah, so he was like, kind of like had on a coat and a hat and stuff like that, but he was just kept being moved on. That's hilarious. So could you, could you imagine if someone actually bought something from him and now they have this million dollar piece at home? Well, that's what happened in New York, wasn't it? Is that what happened? Yeah, he was selling his um, prints for like $60. Oh, probably like nice prints too. And people were like not buying them because they just thought, well, of course it's not Banksy. It's not his work. And some people bought them. They were like, oh, my son would like this. And I think there's a show on Netflix, you know, that shows it. Exit of the Gift Shop? I think it's a different one. Did you see that documentary, by the way? Exit of the Gift Shop? Do you know what? I've seen about three or four. Uh, well, Exit of the Gift ones. Shop is the one where it follows Mr. Brainwash, who documents all the street artists and then how he no. ends up meeting Banksy. No, then I haven't seen that oh, one. Oh, that's the best no, one. No, I'll have to watch that one. That I really like Mr. Brainwash as well. In that one, they actually... Oh, you might not like him after that documentary. <laughs> but in that one, they actually uh, speak to Banksy and have him on camera. Oh. Not his, not, you can't see who he is, but like you can see his yeah. character and they black him out and you, yeah. they kind of alter his voice. Yeah. And they have you know, an interview with him about Mr. Brainwash and about everything. And oh, the thing about Mr. Brainwash is that he started off as just like this really crazy guy who just liked to record things. Mm. And so randomly his cousin was Space Invader, if you know who that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he just started following Space Invader so, at night. Didn't they put a, did they put a Space Invader on the moon or something, didn't they? Did they? Or something like that. Yeah, there's a, I saw it in a documentary. Well, anyways, so, so they, he followed him and by contact, he got into a touch with all the big street artists in New York, mm. including Shepard Ferry. Oh. And so he has all this crazy, insane hours of footage where he would follow them out at night. That's Coincidentally amazing. enough, he weaseled his way into Banksy because he was just... People respected him and loved him and said, this is the guy. If, if someone's going to do it, mm. it's this guy. He's making a documentary on art and street art. And so somehow he gets close to Banksy and becomes like Banksy's like right-hand guy when it comes to doing oh, street yeah. art and looking out. And so this Mr. Brainwash character has 
thousands of hours of footage from the biggest and best street artists the world has ever oh, seen. Wow. And it was for this documentary. Now, while you're watching this documentary, it's, it's funny because it's kind of told from Mr. Brainwash's perspective, but then mm -hmm. it shifts to Banksy's perspective. And it gets to the point where uh, he makes the documentary. So you can see the documentary he made. Mm. Funnily enough, docu the documentary was complete shit. Uh, what Mr. Brainwash made was a complete pile of shit documentary. He had all this amazing <laughs> footage and made the stupidest piece of film ever. So Banksy was so upset yeah. that he actually uh, took that documentary and made Exit Through the Gift Shop. Oh, okay. And, so I was going to say, it's a, I know Exit Through the Gift Shop is a Banksy thing. Yeah. And so yeah. then they, so then they document uh, how, then they, so it ends up oddly enough documenting Mr. Brainwash, how after he did all of this stuff, he kind of realized what it took to make to make a successful art career, mm. and so he just did it himself. Right. And so, a way, it's kind of Banksy taking a piss on Mr. Brainwash. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the and at the end of the film, he goes, "You know, I used to encourage people to to become artists and get into art, but not so much anymore, because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realize he set the beast out like Mr. Brainwash." Yeah. It's fascinating. I see. I have to watch it. Oh my god! When you get home tonight, that's like the thing. Yeah, I'll watch it. Hey, so going forward, what's your plans for 2020? What are you hoping to accomplish? I know you're kind of looking at a new space and everything. And like, never mind, you're not looking at a no, new space. No, not a new space. We've not yet. opened in, um, so we're opening as a coffee shop. Ah. Um, okay. In this space here on Florida Avenue. Okay. And then the guys have also opened another space in Adams Morgan. Ah, that's what and it is. And then, okay. so we've got artwork there. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and then, so we'll just, continue to grow with these guys nice yes but i think 2020 you know all i can think of for 2020 going home <sighs> at the end of the day just no going home to london mm. that's that's my kind of like my ultimate if i can get home this year i've, I've <laughs> that's, that's my measure of success ah, why don't you just bring them here <sighs> well my nephew won't even come to america oh he's that. like I'm going to get killed. He's so worried about it. He's worried. He's six years old and he's scared of getting killed by the police. Oh, yeah. I could definitely in see America. how feel like that. I can only imagine what kind of media is put out there. Yeah. Or, as he says, or even worse. What's worse than that? What if they tasered me? That I'm doesn't sound like worse. Like, getting tasered me that like, bad. Fabio, I think it's worse to be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, because the tasering hurts. I'm not going to feel it if I'm dead. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> No, perhaps. you'll be all right. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but yeah, just to kind of be home for a bit is um, a big thing for me. I'm tired. Yeah. This has been a bigger task than I thought. As it should be. Nothing Nothing should be easy if it's worth it, right? Uh, yeah, this better be worth it. <laughs> this well, is, I'm going to get a big reward in heaven. So what's way. like, so what kind of, in the perfect world, like what would that a gallery, eleven eleven gallery, look like? Like, what is that? Like, if it's the perfect situation, what does it look like for you? Um. So I think it's more around, like I say, the racial silos piece is a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely want to be working with children. Oh. Awesome. Um. So I don't know if you saw on our Instagram, Marley. We hosted a school, uh, youth build. Oh, that's so sweet. And Marley came and spoke to them. And did like a Q and A, and um, with them. And one of the things that was really prevalent to me is 
speaking one of the girls who helped arrange it from the school she said to her friend um like i overheard her saying oh, i really love that woman like she's so cool um you know she always makes me feel important mm. and for me that just made me feel like i'm doing something right because this is a girl from you know maybe not such a wealthy background mm-hmm. um you know, facing whatever social challenges, etc., and the fact that you know she feels important in eleven when she's in the space. Mm-hmm. For me, that's really important because I don't know how she feels when she's not in the space. You mean as an artist? No, as a kid. Or just as a kid? Okay. Just as, as a, a well, okay. I say a kid. I think she was about eighteen or nineteen. Okay, but she felt valued. she feels valued. And how I actually even came across her was she used to always look in through the window. And I used to say, like, oh, do you want to come in? She'd be like, no, no. And then one day I was like, right, I'm going to get this girl in there. Ah, you could and I tell. flew to the door. Like, I saw her come in and I was like, I flew to the door. And I was like, right, are you coming in? She was like, no, no, it's fine. And I said, no, no, come in. And she was like, are we allowed to? Oh, interesting. And I was like, of course you're allowed to. You're allowed to go anywhere. Yeah. And she was like, well, I don't know. We're not usually allowed in these kind of places. Mm. So for me, I was just like, look, you're always welcome in here. Everyone's welcome. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the point of an art gallery. Everybody's welcome. And I'm now actually looking at ways I can potentially work with her going forward, like maybe have her interning or work with me on the weekends or something like that. But um, the point is, we had the, um, we had, she arranged for a school visit. Her school came, I think there was about 10 kids came, two teachers and then myself and Marley over Christmas. And um, we just done like a little Q&A with them. And we were talking about, you know, I promote travel all the time. Like, okay. to me, it's the most important thing. That I just think there's nothing more important than travel. Yeah. Genuinely, right? And um, she, we were talking about something. And I said to one of the boys, one of the boys was like, oh, which do you prefer, London or DC? And... So we were just talking about that. And I said, well, and he was like, what's the food like in London? And, uh, and I said, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> we bake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we bake. Um, but I was like, um, you know, you should come to London one day and check it out. Oh, wow. Like, just come over one day. And I think it was the same girl. She laughed and she was like, oh, you're saying it as though it's just around the corner. And I was like... But it is. Like the same boy had mentioned about, I've got a piece of art in the gallery where the woman's smoking a cigarette. And he was like, oh, that piece would be really cool if she was smoking a joint. And um, I was saying to him, like, the money that you spend buying weed, if you didn't and you just saved it realistically, and maybe if you didn't buy, like, the latest trainers or sneakers. You can get um, a plane ticket. You can get a plane ticket. Oh. And, you know, and I, I said to the boy, I said, I promise you, you can mark my words now, if you can raise the money for your plane ticket, I'll sort you out with accommodation if you go to London. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, because it's not that hard. It, we make things harder mm-hmm. by, it's, it's all about priorities. Mm. And I'm a firm believer in priorities as well. So... You know, you can spend... I mean, the $60 for an eighth of weed that maybe lasts you two weeks, you just don't smoke weed for half a year. All of a sudden, you have a, a plane tickets to go back and forth. To, yeah. And, I, and I've never done it, but I've heard there's plenty of, like, you could stage. 
I've heard that's a big thing overseas. Like working mm-hmm. in a restaurant where like, they'll give you, they'll yeah. feed you and they'll give you a place to live, but you just yeah. got to work. You just got to work. Yeah. yeah. Or my friend did that in Australia, actually on the farm. Yeah. 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 I, 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 yeah. I just actually picked up a part time at a restaurant and I actually really love it. It's yeah. a good balance for me. Um, maybe more busy, but you know. Yeah, it's stressful though. What yeah. are you wait? Are you a waiter? Or yeah, you, waiter, yeah. waiting. It's hard. Honestly, it's not stressful. Did I think? It's honestly not. I stressful I think that's at all. the hardest job I've ever done in my life. Really? Being a waitress. Oh my god, that was the uh, that was the hardest. I'm Bar re- work I love, but waitressing, I can't do. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I, I never stress out over things to begin with, but uh, but anyways. Um, to be fair though, Americans are a lot nicer than English people. Maybe. Yeah, you guys are a lot more like. You're nicer. Mm-hmm. Not saying we're not nice, but we're a bit more like. I think it depends on where you work, right? Like I worked at Italian places that are just a pain in the ass. Like you have to do 20,000 mm. things for one table. Mm-hmm. Or the place I'm at now, you could do like two things, get the price points are still high. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm chilling, baby. I'm, <laughs> so it's like, like an Italian place, I'd have to cut bread then reset the table and then pour their wine and then get them more bread and then get them mixed the <laughs> olive oil. At yeah. this place, I get their whole order. Do you want more drinks? So we have we have food runners and busboys. I'm like, oh yeah. my god, like this is amazing. And then they feed us at the end yeah. of the shift. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I'm like, this is this is easy this money. Is every- it's just it's just whether or not I'm gonna make it to being awake at eleven o'clock. But no, I learned about the concept of staging. I didn't know that was a thing where you yeah. could go, especially in other countries where that's like yeah. a prevalent thing. Yeah, yeah. I've not done that. But you can do that. But back on the topic of mm. if you want to travel, there, if there's a will, there's a way. There's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And it's not, it's really not difficult. Like, I just think, I, I honestly just think we have, as a people, as people, we have our priorities set. Mm. Um, the thing is, we set our priorities for what works for us, right? And... If you don't know anything else, you're going to set your priorities to fit within like here. But if you have exposure to here, then your priorities are always going to fit there. And if you go there, they're always going to go. Do you know what I mean? So like, you like can expanding the box. Of what you, you can think always from. expand. Yeah. And I think something I find a lot and I could be wrong, completely wrong. And apologies yeah. if I am. And I don't want to offend anybody. Opinion. I think in D.C. it feels like people don't think outside of D.C., People who are from DC, especially, mm. I've noticed that mm. that, and I've heard this from guests I've had, is that mm. if you are, especially an African American living mm. in DC in the city, you, you might not even have been to Virginia. You might not have even been to Old Town Alexandria, <laughs> which is ten minutes outside of DC, because yeah. you might not have a car and you're so locked into this that you yeah. sometimes can't perceive outside those boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. But they say the same about London mm. with South Londoners. Okay. I am a South Londoner. Like, they say, like, South Londoners don't leave South London. Interesting. Um, and we don't, really. Like, I used to, when I lived, when I was younger, I'd go to friends that lived in North London. But I'd always be like, oh, I just need to get back over. Like, as soon as I get back over the bridge, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm back in South London. So I think it's just probably that. But I suppose the difference with that is we still left London. We still left the UK. We didn't stay in those borders within the refines of well, it's a lot easier to travel over there too i think it's they, certainly very cheap yeah it's a lot cheaper and i know it's a lot mm. easier like i remember when i was in france going to spain we took like a speed train and i was like yeah I was like, you could have done that in a day like you can't yeah. really do that here yeah again america's so big and it's True. so far from everywhere yeah so we can with us you can you know jump on the train to paris you can jump on the 
train to Belgium. It sounds so easy and accessible. And it is, but we're we're all in Europe. So we're all the same continent, really. The difference is um, Britain, Great Britain, or the UK or whatever we call it, is not part of the mainland. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of difference. Okay. I think us and Ireland, we're not part of the mainland. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's still easy to get. I mean, we can fly to Amsterdam for like the equivalent of probably about $50 return. That's crazy. Which is, but it's like a 45 minute flight. Yeah. I mean, here you can go to New York, you can go places pretty quickly, but it's like a seven hour bus ride for like 60 bucks back and forth, you know? To New York. Yeah. New York is like dirt cheap, you know, on a bus. It's yeah, like it's, you can go for like $5. Yeah, it's cheap. Well, it's like yeah. even cheaper than that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Nicola, I can't wait to see what happens in 2020 with thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me on the yeah. show. Yeah, everyone, if you're in D.C., go check out 1111 Gallery. Uh, <laughs> just look it up. You'll find it. It's not it's, that hard. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I, I think it's pretty cool. It is cool stuff. When the, I didn't mention it, but the time that I went to your gallery. I really enjoyed the artwork there. Did you? Yeah, I really did. Oh, thank you. It wasn't just like boring white-walled art gallery. It was really good stuff. No, I tried to I tried to make it reflect me. It's really important that I'm reflected through like fun. I'm not as fun anymore, but the artwork <laughs> is fun. <laughs> that is it's through art. the art. It's through the artwork, yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, well that's you. it, guys. That's the angle. Peace out.